Welcome to this episode of the Middle Market Growth Conversations podcast, where we look at the trends impacting mid-sized companies and the influencers behind their success. I'm Katie Mulligan, Associate Editor of Middle Market Growth Magazine, and I'm here again with Deborah Cohen, the magazine's Editor-in-Chief. Deb, thanks for joining me. Who'd you talk to for the podcast this week? Katie, I spoke to Dave Nicewander. He's the president of World Bicycle Relief's U.S. operations. What they are is a nonprofit that delivers bikes to third world countries in need of uh, better transport. And they have a mid-size subsidiary, is that right? A for-profit arm underneath the nonprofit? They do. It's called Buffalo Bicycles, and that business is actually... um, a wholly owned subsidiary of the nonprofit that has to adhere to their social impact mission. So it has to be very transparent in what it does and its um, its numbers, etc. And it's growing really fast. It's um, it's really um, picking up speed, and um, it's also helping to create jobs in a lot of these countries because they assemble the bikes on the ground hmm. in Zimbabwe or some of the other countries where they um, where they help. No, that's so interesting and, and not a model that we necessarily hear about too often. So looking forward to hearing what, what Dave had to say. So with that, let's get into it. Here is Deb speaking with Dave Nicewander. Dave Nicewander, president of World Bicycle Relief USA, thanks for joining me on this middle market growth conversation. Great, thanks for having me. So um, let's talk about the evolution of World Bicycle Relief. How did the organization get started and evolve? No, thanks for that, um, and, and thanks for having me here today to talk about this. Actually, World Bicycle Relief was a response to the Indian Ocean tsunami that took place in December of 2004. And I think as we can remember back almost those uh, 13 years ago, looking and thinking that was a big worldwide catastrophe that a lot of people sort of responded to. It was almost like it was the first one that was live and in real time and and, and in the age of uh, the internet uh, updates. And um, we came from a company called SRAM Corporation, SRAM, S-R-A-M, and that's a bicycle component manufacturer based here in Chicago. And as a global footprint, what they were looking to do is, is to do something of meaning and purpose as a response to that. And thinking about going through the Red Cross or thinking about going doing some other relief efforts and really thought through, well, maybe bicycles can make a difference in that disaster recovery. And so one of the co-founders of SRAM is a, a gentleman by the name of F.K. Day. Uh, he and his wife, uh, Leah Misbach Day, who's a professional photographer, went over in January of 2005 uh, to Sri Lanka to meet with a lot of different organizations and, and sort of put the idea out there as far as well maybe bicycles could make a difference in that disaster recovery. And we did find a good partner there that did a field assessment and 24,400 locally sourced bicycles went into that uh, program. And about one-third of those bicycles went to healthcare workers that were helping with the disaster recovery, one-third to students that were trying to reconnect with their education and about a third going to entrepreneurs. An example might be a fisherman that was dislocated because of the uh, tsunami and then trying to reconnect with the ocean and his markets. So that was really the genesis, the beginning of World Bicycle Relief. And so has SRAM uh, remained involved? And um, I mean, I'm assuming that their knowledge of the industry is very helpful in terms of setting up the nonprofit? Absolutely, it's been been a fantastic partnership with SRAM and, and World Bicycle Relief is a separate nonprofit organization, 
um, but SRAM has been an amazing corporate uh, partner and, and resource for us and we have shared resources and using a lot of their engineering technology as we build a bicycle that's appropriate uh, for the end user in the developing world. Now SRAM makes a lot of high high performance faster lighter uh, componentry that goes into uh, Tour de France type bicycles and um, what, you know, what brands would we think of? Sure. <laughs> Peugeot. Uh, Peugeot. Well, they have zip wheels and they use uh, their their ETAP system for their shifting uh, mechanisms as well as uh, on the mountain bike side using rock shocks. And, and they've grown to be the world's second largest bicycle component manufacturer. Uh, really on high end, but it's the same product development that they utilize and that FK really started. He was in charge of product development for about 20 years at Tram Corporation. That same type of process and product development uh, goes into designing and developing our bicycle, which is called the Buffalo Bicycle, um, that goes into the developing world. Talk about the Buffalo Bicycle. I know um, the design, as you mentioned, is very different because um, the purpose is different. You've got you've got rural areas. You don't have a lot of ability to do maintenance on the fly, and the bikes have to be used for a variety of different purposes. So, how how do those bikes? Come together. Sure. Really, I'm going to tie it back to our origin story. So, in in the first program in Sri Lanka, you know, Southeast Asia has a very strong bicycle culture uh, and a robust supply chain of quality bicycles. And FK, because of his 20 plus years experience at that time with SRAM, was able to connect into that supply chain to find very robust, reliable bicycles for those initial 24,400 bicycles. With the results of the impact, there was an impact study that was done that showed that the bicycles really was, the bicycles themselves, the bicycle program, connected people with healthcare, with education, with economic opportunity, reducing the cost of transport. It was really transformative in that disaster recovery. But looking at the other opportunities for growth and expansion and thinking where the impact can be even greater would be Africa. And so the first program that we did was in, in Zambia, mm -hmm. uh, and that's when I came on the scene in about 2007, so just, just over 10 years ago, um, working um, with a healthcare program that was uh, teaching people um, and training people as it relates to healthcare workers that were combating the HIV AIDS epidemic. Um, and FK thought, well, going into that program, there was 23,000 healthcare workers locally sourced 23,000 quality bicycles. He put the local, what he thought were quality bicycles or was reported to him as quality bicycles into testing protocols into the field. And these bicycles fell apart very quickly. Wow. <laughs> very oh, quickly. Wow. Uh, they're based off of an old Raleigh um, UK design mm -hmm. bicycle from the early 1900s. It was an iron steel horse yeah. type bicycle, heavy duty. The issue is that, that the supplier of those bikes have just become completely disconnected from the end user. And in this pursuit of profit and, and cutting costs have really cut the quality to the fact that the bicycle doesn't serve that end user at all. We affectionately call these bicycles bicycle-shaped objects, or BSOs. <laughs> <laughs> the BSOs do not really function very yeah. well, um, and, yeah. and they're really much more about uh, profitability uh, <clears throat> in, in some ways versus the, the needs of the end user. But that's where the beauty of the product development comes in as it relates to FK taking his experience and his knowledge on we can't buy locally sourced bicycles, but what we can do is start designing and developing bicycles that we can then fabricate, we can design, fabricate, send the componentries to Africa and do the assembly there. 
which is what the other. There's no bicycles that are currently being produced in Africa. All the so the the assembly. But so by doing that, you you also create jobs as well on the ground. You have this this added economic. Absolutely, benefit. absolutely. No, um, and and that's actually as I look at the organization's growth over the last 13 years and the, and the 10 and a half years that I've been with it, one of the measures of success I look at is having a sustainable bicycle industry that we're creating and, and training of assembly workers to accountants to field mechanic trainers to warehouse managers and, and so we have about a, over 100 people on staff uh, working with us, team members in Africa. That's just in Africa. Now, what other geographies are you um, active in? Sure. Well, we've done approaching uh, 370,000 bicycles into the developing world into 19 different countries. Um, In the other continents or the other regions of the world, we have done programs uh, in Southeast Asia, in the Philippines, Thailand, and Indonesia. And we have ongoing programs that are happening in Colombia and South America. And why are bicycles so important? I was looking at uh, one of your videos before you came in, um, an example of a little girl that got a bike and was able to, rather than walking two hours to school, could make that journey in probably half an hour. Um, That's one example, but... Sure. Well, I I think in a general way, uh, we here in the developed world take for granted our transportation options. You know, from my offices to your offices here, I I took an Uber and it was there within, you know, two minutes and, and zipped my way here and didn't have to think about it. But really, in the majority of the developing world, Um, And I'll take Sub-Saharan Africa as an example. Mm -hmm. There's a half a billion people uh, that live in the rural context in the developing world in Sub-Saharan Africa. And those half a billion people, their majority of their choice of of transportation is walking. And so when you think about having to walk those 10, 15 miles to get to school or 10, 15 miles to take your sick child to a clinic uh, to access health care, those are really life and death type choices that you're having to make or if you have tomatoes that you grow in your garden and you want to take them to the local market well the local market might have the price at a certain level but the market that's a little bit further away has a better price so there's a better return on investment so we really look at the bicycle as almost an industrial revolution in someone's hands it's able for them to access the vital resources of healthcare, education, economic opportunities um, that, that, you know, in the developed world, we don't necessarily, we take for granted our options that we have. So you're, um, what is the business model? I mean, if you have people that are creating the bike, what, what is the roughly cost per unit to create the bike? And then um, you're not selling the bicycles to, to these communities. These are, these are gifted, and how does, I, I'm presuming, how, how does one qualify to get a bike? <laughs> Those are all very good questions, and we have a unique sort of history that got us to where we are today, and, and it's been actually a very innovative model uh, that uh, we have uh, developed almost sort of as we've gone on this journey. Um, so, to get to one of your first questions, what is the cost of a bicycle? The representative yeah. cost is about $147 uh, for a bicycle to go into one of our programs. Now, each one of our countries, we currently are operating in Zambia, Zimbabwe, Malawi, Kenya, Angola, uh, have programs going on in Ghana and in Colombia. Um, each one of those countries has unique cost as it relates to transportation mm-hmm. and tariffs and duties and, and those type of things to get there, but 147 is a good 
average as far as the cost of a bicycle to go into the field. Um, when we have started doing the improved Buffalo bicycles into that first healthcare program in Zambia, people started knocking on our door. They said, listen, hey, I've seen your bicycle. Your bicycle is better than these other bicycle-shaped objects. <laughs> <laughs> I want that bicycle for my farm, or I want that bicycle yeah. to take my child to school or for my healthcare program. And at first, you know, FK and I looked at each other and said, well, we're, we're really focused on trying to get these 23,000 bicycles out, but maybe there's a way for us to think about this. And we didn't, you know, from a philanthropic standpoint, we didn't have the capacity to raise funds to meet the demand in the fields. But what we could do is sort of draw upon his entrepreneurial business background and my background, I was 15 years in investment banking, sort of thinking of the structure, can we set up something that meets the market demand through a capitalistic approach. Mm -hmm. And so setting up the business Buffalo Bicycles Limited and working with uh, consultants and, and top attorneys to make sure that we are, are very protective of our, our, our uh, IRS 501c3 rating um, um, and, and status is that we have World Bicycle Relief Not-For-Profit, which is the parent company that owns 100% of the for-profit called Buffalo Bicycles Limited. That is really interesting. Are there other nonprofits that have that model? <laughs> there are some, um, and, and I think what, what makes us unique in some ways is that we have a very tangible and, and appropriate value proposition to the end user in the markets that we're working in. In other words, at a price point um, of $147, that is something that's attainable to the folks that we're serving in the markets that we're serving. So if I look at our bicycles this year that we'll be doing, which is going to be roughly around 60,000 bicycles, mm -hmm. roughly, I mean, we still yeah. have, we're, we're doing a, a big push for the year end, um, is that about 25,000 of those bicycles are going to be funded philanthropically. And they'll be funded through our not-for-profits and, and supporters right. and donors that are coming beside us and, and, and working through us. The other balance of those bicycles are sold. Those are sold to individuals, to other nonprofit organizations that are doing development work in the areas right. that we're working in. So folks like UNICEF and World Health Organization right. that realize and appreciate that a valuable bicycle or a quality bicycle is valuable to meet their goals and key performance indicators of what they're trying to achieve. So it's really a multiplier effect when you think about it, that, you know, we provide bicycles through our philanthropic program, the main one being an education program, as you mentioned, focused on girl students that have to overcome the challenge yeah. of distance. Um, but we're also, through our social enterprise, is what we call Buffalo Bicycles, the social enterprise program, we are putting bicycles into programs that are healthcare, tuberculosis, malaria, HIV, AIDS, as well as agriculture. We had a great program last year, uh, it was about 4,500 bicycles going into Zambia uh, that was funded by the Food and Agricultural Organization. And it was to, <clears throat> excuse me, extension farmers uh, in Zambia. So um, does World Bicycle Relief for the charitable bikes actually purchase the bicycles from Buffalo Bicycles? Is that, that how it, that it works? That is how the sausage is made, yeah. yes. Okay, I was <laughs> just curious. <laughs> right. as, so, um, so what are the advantages of, of operating that way, of having the for-profit um, organization be an independent entity but owned by the charitable organization? I think there's a couple of things. From a field-focused standpoint, one, it keeps us um, 
very focused on the end user itself. We could develop and design um, a $350 bicycle, as an example, right. and put into our philanthropic programs. The issue with that is that people that are receiving those bicycles wouldn't necessarily have the uh, capacity or capability to uh, pay for spare parts um, and to maintain the bicycle. Um, and so living within this constraints of 145 to 140, you know, to $200 within that range, we have to continuously be focused on the end user and, and the value proposition to that end user. So that gives us that discipline. It also gives us the discipline as we are operating in the field, in, in the countries that we're operating as Buffalo Bicycles, the accounting and the financial metrics that, that sometimes other nonprofit organizations sometimes lack. Um, you know, the fact that we are looking very closely on a very, on a very in-depth basis on a monthly basis as it relates to what we call the monthly management update, mm -hmm. the different metrics, financial and accounting metrics that not necessarily would be applied to a, a nonprofit organization, but as very appropriate and applicable. Right. So it keeps us disciplined in that accounting and that transparency that goes through. And um, I mean, we are uh, a middle market uh, podcast and we uh, we presume that Buffalo Bicycles, based on the scope that you've described, is qualifies as a, a mid-sized mm -hmm. company. Right. Can you give us a little sense of um, of the scope of of the for-profit? Um, sure. I mean, as far as retail sales um, this year is going to be somewhere around um, thirty thousand bicycles, thirty-five thousand bicycles. Um, so we're looking somewhere around revenue of about four and a half million, okay, five million dollars. And what is the capital structure? Is it something? I mean, does does this allow you at some point to um, to do a capital raise if you needed to, wanted to? What? There are, there are some constraints on that as it relates to um, the tax status of the parent okay. of Moral Bicycle Leave. So we always have to be cognizant of that and, and make sure that we're keeping the IRS happy and informed. Um, and really, it's ma majority owned of, of that. And the other concern is also as a as the parent company is a not for profit and we are you know committed to the mission of the organization that if you have outside investors that are coming in from an equity standpoint that they might have mm -hmm. different perspectives mm -hmm, and goals mm -hmm. um, that to be said one of the most exciting things that's happening right now in the area of development is social impact investing uh, yes. people that get excited about a double bottom line and and looking at that and we're uniquely um, structured for that because of the financial discipline that we currently right, have right. with Buffalo Bicycles and we're exploring that greatly as far as expansion of Buffalo Bicycle shops. So in the markets where we have done these philanthropic programs as well as social enterprise sales, mm -hmm. we've created communities that have a concentration of our bicycles. And you know, one of the things that we look at is sustainable impact. It's one of the most important things that we talk about and focus, how do we maintain sustainable impact? So it's not just about designing a quality bicycle and, and, and either distributing through a uh, philanthropic program right. or doing a sale to an end user, but it's also about how do you maintain that bicycle with field mechanics mm -hmm. that are being trained that know specifically and also the accessibility of spare parts. So what we have found is almost a pop-up shop that's no bigger than this 10 by 10 room that can be very, very um, successful in not only um, supplying the spare parts and the repair sort of hub, 
uh, but also of selling bicycles. We have a, a Buffalo bicycle shop that is in the middle of downtown Harare. Now, <laughs> wow. Zimbabwe, as we all know, and certainly in the top of the uh, uh, you know top of the news cycle right now, yeah. but has been in e some economic straits. Yeah. Um, and what we have found is that shop, which is ten by ten and run by John, <laughs> and basically is going to do about a quarter of a million dollars worth of sales. Wow. This year. Wow, that's amazing. So that's an exciting yeah. metric for us to sort of look at and think about, well, what are the things that are working well? One of its location. It's right next to the bus depot. Yeah. So as you know, economies start to constrict, things start to get concentrated into the capital markets and into the capital cities. And this we're well positioned there. We have done quite a bit of bicycles philanthropically and social enterprise in Zimbabwe, so we have high brand recognition. So proper branding, proper location, 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 um, and the right value proposition as far as the quality of our bicycle and the pricing, people come to us. We have stories of, of women that have walked <laughs> 70, 80 miles oh with crumpled up $1 bills, because Zimbabwe is using the US dollars, yeah. and you would not believe what these US dollars have gone through. Yeah, and she had imagine. single bills up to about $145. Wow. She said, I'm here to buy a Buffalo bicycle because I've heard that they're the best yeah, bicycle to buy. That's amazing. So we that's get those really kind of stories. Amazing. Yeah. Now you mentioned, you talk about the, the growth in social impact investing and um, we are seeing that and we're seeing, um, you know, more ESG metrics applied and, tr you know, there's a call for transparency on the part of um, limited partners. Mm -hmm. um, have you, um, Given the success that you guys have had with your model, have you been approached by any um, social impact um, funds or uh, you know companies that say, "Hey, how do you? Can, is there something from your model that we can that we can learn and take away? Are you kind sure. of are you mentoring any of these?" Businesses? Absolutely, um, and and actually, I'm going to be heading out to um, Washington State. Uh, tomorrow to go to a conference um, called Global Washington, and that's one of the places that we talk about our model and and share ideas. and And I'm going to go to a peer retreat uh, next week um, and and talk a little bit more about our structure uh, as an organization. You know, again, we're in a unique situation that we have a tangible value proposition as it relates to a bicycle. And I think a lot of one of the advantages that I didn't talk about is that it diversifies the funding stream for World Bicycle Relief. And so not only you know do we have this structure, but now the structure is actually working where Buffalo Bicycles is upstreaming funding mm -hmm. to the parent company right. that allows us to do more philanthropic programs. So it creates a, a level of sustainability that is not dependent as dependent upon individual donors. And so. We have donors that are major institutions, that are major individuals. Uh, we've yet to receive any government funding directly. Certainly we're the beneficiary on, on sort of a secondary basis, uh, but we're positioned well to do that. But so it creates a more of a diversification um, and, and broadening of our funding opportunities. Um, one thing I wanted to get into was, uh, you know, a lot of the, the regions that you operate in are um, politically unstable. Uh, yeah. Yes. <laughs> so, I mean, how yes. what what happens when you know there's you're in a conflict zone? Does that impede your ability to get bikes out, or because you're so hyper local in terms of your assembly, are you somewhat impervious to that? 
Well, there's two ways of looking at it. One, we, we're pretty careful about where we where we expand into, and the countries that we operate in, you know, Zambia, Zimbabwe, I guess, mm. being most on the headlines yeah. right now. Um, Kenya, we we have local folks that are running those operations, those organizations. I was actually in in Southern Africa last week. Um, I just got back on Tuesday, um, and I was with our head of operations, um, who is Zimbabwean, as we were together in South Africa. And so I was getting real-time updates as it relates to how the non-coup coup was evolving in, in Zimbabwe. Right. And, you know, I think the, the perspective on the ground is, thank goodness we're getting back to some normalcy, and, and, and it was it was, a, it was a good transition um, from the Mugabe, 37 mm-hmm. mu- years of, of Mugabe, um, yeah. and to the next. You know, and, and you know, coups, revolutions, you know, transitions take several stages. So you never know exactly know how things are going to end up, but certainly things are looking right. very positive, and the new right. president is certainly um, saying all the right things that needs to be said. But we're careful as it relates to um, when we look at expansion opportunities, we sort of look at it from a Venn diagram and, and three different lenses and where they intersect is probably our sweet spot. And that first lens that we look through is high impact. Where mm-hmm. can we have the highest mm-hmm. impact? Where are bicycles going to make the biggest difference? Uh, where's transportation a challenge in the rural context? Um, so the, the second one is, is a word we made up called implementability. And implementability captures some of the things as far as political instability. Um, captures things such as terrain. Mm-hmm. You know, in a mountainous area, high school's probably not the best you know use. Um, the tariffs, the duties that are right. going on there, um, the cultural norms. There are some areas you know we focus. Majority of our bicycles go either to women caregivers or girl students. Seventy uh, percent of the bicycles going to the education program are to girl students. If it's not culturally appropriate for girls to ride bicycles for whatever reason, then we're probably not, that's mm-hmm. probably not a great mm-hmm. place for us to be. So that's the second lens, yeah. implementability. And, and then the third lens is that social enterprise opportunity. Where do we think we can create a critical mass, build our brand awareness, and do operations um, from a standpoint there? And then where those three intersect, that's our sweet spot. Um, and, and we look at that as far as different country expansions. And we made you know determinations to pull out of some countries because when we use that discipline, we've mm-hmm. actually determined that we can actually put our resources to better return in a different marketplace. And so those are some of the decisions that we make and look at. Okay. So there's places, I'll, I'll give an example as far sure. as places as the, as the DRC, and D- the Democratic Republic, Republic of, of Congo. Congo. Yep. Um, the need is great. The impact would be great. Not so good on implementability. <laughs> I mean, it would be a very challenge, or, or the social enterprise. And so those are the places where you think, okay, yes, the need is great. And if, if we got a call from somebody like uh, uh, UNHCR or UN entity that said, hey, we need 5,000 bicycles to go into, that's great. But we're right. probably not going to open up operations in the DRC today. Okay. Okay, that makes sense. How fast is the business growing? <laughs> um, pretty fast. Pretty fast. I mean, I think the last calculation I looked at was somewhere around a 20% compounded annual growth rate. 
So that's pretty good uh, in, a, in a marketplace. And, and the, 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 the issue is, of course, there's lumpiness into what we're doing. And, and sometimes there's funding cycles or, or in, in the, the business itself. You know, this last year we're operating in Kenya. Well, mm -hmm. Kenya has had its own unique challenges with the political system this year as far as one election that was then invalidated in the second election. Well, that, what that really translates into is three to four months of unproductiveness. The, the country comes to a standstill, sort of waiting for what is the next. Um, in two years ago, Zambia was, uh, the Zambian kwacha was the worst performing currency against the U.S. dollar. Uh, over the world and so we're pricing you know our mm -hmm. inputs are coming in through dollars and we're selling in kwacha and we better be able to <laughs> make some make, changes yeah, pretty quickly and yeah. so that, that those are the things mm -hmm. that are challenges that that uh, you know make it exciting mm -hmm. and an interesting adventure every day to work in the developing world yeah um, I, I'm curious um, I want to go back to Shram for mm -hmm. one minute what I mean they're they're uh, a company that you know, makes components for very well-known brands. Mm -hmm. What What is the benefit to them? I mean, in, in the longer term, they've been with you. I'm assuming maybe they have somebody on your board? Or yeah, they yeah, we do? have definitely some board representation. And certainly we've leveraged, as I mentioned, we've leveraged their bicycle expertise yeah. and some of their resources, their testing facilities, um, some co-locations of uh, some of our, of our our people around the globe. Um, absolutely. I think uh, from Shram's standpoint, it's, a, it's become a very important part of their culture mm -hmm. um, and, and, and get very excited about um, what World Bicycle Relief is doing. And we get a lot of buy-in, not only from the, the corporate Shram, but from the individuals uh, that work at Shram um, and get excited about the mission and the impact that World Bicycle Relief is having. Do you ever, do you piggyback on some of their marketing? Do they do co- You will co see on every package that they send out of their components, there's a World Bicycle Relief. That's great. Right, and everything that goes out, uh, a lot of co-branding that takes place. Last question for you. How do you um, quantify the impact that, that you have in a particular market? Mm -hmm. Well, it's it's interesting, and it's one of the most important things that I think we're doing because a lot of folks that are get excited about bicycles or can understand. Everyone has, I think, an experience with a bicycle, either if you're from a childhood experience and that sense of freedom, or you might be a, a daily commuter, or you might be a, a weekend lycra warrior <laughs> that is going out and doing the bike race. You know, a lot of people have an a, a experience, and they can translate that to what that might mean in the developing world. So you can have that good, feel good feeling of a picture of a girl mm -hmm. or the videos that we have, mm -hmm. which was amazing resources for us to have and the impact is real um, of that. But I think what's been important to us is to invest into academically rigorous quantification of the impact. It's not just about the feel good of giving a bicycle. We wanna know what is that sustainable impact over a year, two years, three years. And so about three, three and a half years ago, started really investing in, in individuals and resources to build out what we call monitoring and evaluation team. And that monitoring and evaluation team is just that. It's to monitor the, the rollout of our programs, it can be both the social enterprise and the philanthropic, mm -hmm. mostly the philanthropic, mostly the education program. And we're excited right now, we've just completed a, a baseline survey of, of a, what we call a randomized control study of 4,000 bicycles into 45 schools in the southern province of Zambia 
um, and those bicycles have just gone out. It is a longitudinal study, so there'll be ongoing uh, monitoring of academic attendance and performance, um, household impact, and importantly, the impact on girls' empowerment. And so doing that through, we're working with a group called Innovations for Poverty Action, uh, which is one of the top outside resources to, to monitor these things. So they're implementing the program as well as support and, and guidance from the UBS Optimus Foundation. That's great. Yeah. I actually do have one more question. Sure. What are you reading right now? <laughs> What's on your nightstand? What's on my nightstand? I just finished a book called Essentialism. And it's a, the, the power of doing less things better. Mm-hmm. And one of the challenges that we have as a team is that we're so excited, we're so passionate about what we're doing and the impact that we see. Um, I think it's important for us to step back and say, how can we be most impactful um, in doing potentially fewer things but doing them better? because we get stretched into in a lot of different ways and we don't want to stretch ourselves out too thin. Uh, as with any organization, uh, be it profit or nonprofit, you know, you have limited resources. It's how you get that highest return on investment on the resources that you have. That's great. Well, David Nicewander, President of World Bicycle Relief USA, thank you so much for joining us on this Middle Market Growth Conversation. Great. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Middle Market Growth Conversations. Subscribe to the podcast in iTunes where you can listen to past episodes and hear the next episode in two weeks. While you're there, we'd love if you could rate the show and leave a review to help other listeners find us. After you've rated the show, head over to our website, middlemarketgrowth.org, for more stories about successful mid-sized companies and trends in middle market M&A.